This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Road studio in the crap part of Soho, and from, right now, the crap internet connectivity in my back house, hence, I'm podding from over the phone, Rog. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. Old school. Oh, we back like Odin Agarlo serving up more Premier League break crap. We're not pleased with the Premier League break, are we, Davo? Oh, it's the worst. It's the worst, Rog. And the only reason you don't see more articles with people saying what a disaster this has been to take all the momentum out of the Premier League in a season where the momentum has already been killed by the dominance of Liverpool. The only reason people aren't writing it is because they've all written for years about the need for a winter break and now they're getting it and they realise what a disaster it is. I will say it felt very weird having a Premier League weekend in which Everton didn't disappoint me in any way whatsoever. The whole thing just feels completely lesser somehow. I will say, dear listeners, you may hear some background noise, the occasional the occasional moment of joy, nothing to do with men in blazers. That's because Dwayne Wade is about to turn up for Watch What Happens Live and there's a large party going on outside the door. But talking about joy... Talking about happiness. Davo, you were in Disneyland yesterday. How was it? God, I needed Disney, Rog. Even even in the world of positive Davo, sometimes everything goes to crap. And recently, everything's been going to crap, Rog. But I'm telling you, spent the day at Disney, at Disneyland. What a beautiful park that is. Uh, with my kids. Um, and... It is really the happiest place on earth. It is really, it's a really, I'm so pro-Disney, Rog. I know that you probably are not pro-Disney, uh, but I worked there for years, built my career there, very affectionate about the company. But even without that, you just cannot have a bad day at Disneyland, Rog. I hate it for the reason you like it. The, the happiest place on earth. I, d- I don't like places where emotions are prescribed and expected. Same reason I don't like New Year's Eve for the forced joviality. Yeah, but it's a theme park, Rog. It has rides, it has characters. It's just, it's for the inner child in you. Even you have an inner child, Rog. And with all of your pro, all of your pro-Americanness, I cannot believe that 11-year-old Rog in your bedroom in Liverpool didn't dream of going to Disney World. Oh, mate, I've got to be candid that my, it's more about me than it is about Disneyland because I feel the same about Anfield as well. Too much happiness. <laughs> I, was in, I was in my Disneyland this week with J-Dubs. We were in Tampa. Whoa. Oh, the Disneyland of Tampa. <laughs> Filming oh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. What an incredible organization they are. We filmed with defenseman Victor Hedman, who is a tenacious giant proper Manchester United and the coach John Cooper one of the most intriguing human beings I've encountered in a long long time public defender till he was 32 launched his second career as a hockey coach in just the the bowels of junior hockey and ground his way despite the fact he's never played college or pro hockey to the bigs it's really a story which transcends sports and we can't wait to edit but Tampa Davo wow what an amazing city you know it much better than I do I mean, from my time working down at Disney World, Rog, I mean, the, the I-4 corridor that runs all the way from Tampa in the west to Daytona in the east, it's all become one giant sort of, you know, um, 
you know, central Floridian area. But Tampa is special. Hyde Park, Ebor City. Oh, built. I love any city that's built on the Cuban sandwich. All those muscle cars, people in sleeveless shirts. I loved it. Honestly, I felt like I'd stepped onto the set of cops. It was, oh, it was invigorating. Before we start, I want to open with an apology, though. I want to apologize to Mr. Kenny Rogers for, I know he listens, for stating that the imposter Kenny, Kenny Loggins, sang Islands in the Stream on the last pod. I do get, and you know this, Davo, you know I get my Kennys mixed up, right? It's not a big name for you, Kenny. Yeah, Loggins, Rogers, Chesney. Loggins wishes he'd written such poetry as Sail Away With Me to Another World and We Rely On Each Other. Aha! From One Lover to Another. Aha! Loggins would bite your arm off to sing with Dolly Parton. Go and have to make off with Danger Zone Loggins and be done with you. Feel better now, David. Okay, good. Ross, I'm glad you do. Okay, despite the winter break, the Premier League <laughs> equivalent of intermittent fasting. You know what? It's nowhere near as good as intermittent fasting. It's not good for all you. We've got a packed show. We're going to go Woodward and Baldstein while breaking down the news. UEFA has banned Man City from the Champions League for two seasons due to financial fair play violations. We relive Liverpool's late win over Norwich thanks to Senegalese super sub Sadio Mane. And Mourinho finds a way to troll son after the South Koreans game winner in the dying end of over Villa. Let's have a toast for Helio. Oh, I want to raise my first third bud of the day to a more confident American footballing culture of the future. I say this after a week in which Inter Milan won a key battle in a trademark infringement lawsuit against Major League Soccer in which they claim the term Inter is synonymous with the Serie A club. So Inter Miami who make their debut next month, cannot use it. I, I read this article, Davo, and I've got to say, I felt so incredibly low as to why Inter Miami would want to use that name in the first place. You, you can't create an authentic soccer culture by just appropriating other nations' terminology and importing it wholesale. I do wonder what, if they are going to change it, they'll change it too if they lose this court case. Are we going to see Miami Wednesday? Uh, sorry, Sheffield, though actually Miami Friday, probably more appropriate. GFOP at Antenna suggested they call themselves Florida Man City, which I love. It's as authentic as into Miami. At Escalante Brew came up with a catchy Grimsby Miami town, which has also got its own charm. And TJ DePhillips delivered what I think possibly could be a workable solution when he tweeted, Miami Yunchen Gladbach is still available. Let's be more confident, America. Let's love ourselves. Let's go like the Miami King Tides, the Cafecitos. Name the team after Pitbull, the most Miami thing possible. I don't care, but I raise this Bud Fam Blood Fam to a future built on self-love. Let's not be afraid of the rest of the world and what they think of our American sporting nomenclature. We've just got to be ourselves. Courage. Oh, absolutely. But what is in it for Inter Milan with that lawsuit? Honestly, a rising tide lifts all boats. Why is everybody so competitive with each other about your name? It's so crazy. There aren't going to be any words left in the English language to call anything, Rog. They're trying to help us help ourselves, David. They're doing it out of the charity. OK, charity, charity, charity. charity. OK, <laughs> we're going to start with the news that broke Friday, Rog. UEFA has banned, this is important, Man City from the Champions League for the next two seasons due to financial fair play violations. City have also been fined 30 million euros 
That's about $32.5 million. The teams say they will appeal the judgment, but as it stands, City will not play on club football's biggest stage for the next two seasons, Rog. That's a lot to sift through. That's what happens when you have John Stones banging on a garbage can to tip the team off to pitches. This, Dave, and we're going to break it down into its minutiae because it is serious crap. It's an atomic bomb dropped in the midst of the Premier League as we know it. And the crux of the issue, dear listener, is where City were taken over by Shane Mansour in 2008. He had to play catch up with the European elite and just chuck the sovereign wealth of Abu Dhabi into the club. One barrier, financial fair play, the rules that dictate that clubs can only lose $32 million over the course of three seasons. And if they do, they'll be liable to a fine, which City had in 2014, or a suspension. City are alleged to have circumvented these rules by working with sponsors on wildly overblown sponsorship deals, which Sheikh Mansour actually underwrote, the ones with Etihad Airlines, essentially. Those deals were revealed in leaked emails obtained by the German outlet Der Spiegel. Essentially, City's owner, Sheikh Mansour, was funding the huge annual sponsorship of the club shirt, the stadium, the academy, through his own pocket. And while some have quickly said financial fair play rules are actually designed to protect the hegemony of the existing power structure, your United, your Bayerns, your Real Madrids wanted to prevent new clubs like City from entering their ether. To me, Davo, rules are rules, right? And City did break them. Yes. I think the problem that most people are having with this, though, is the sense that UEFA has abided by any kind of fair play in terms of their role in massive corruption around the awarding of major tournaments, massive corruption that exists at the heart of their executive and has done for decades and decades and decades with impunity. And the idea that really what Man City have been doing is that much different than what other teams have been doing and have got away with it. And I think that applies also to the transfer ban on Chelsea, which you know many at the club believe that everybody's been doing. So I think it's really difficult. It's not like we've got you know some completely unimpunable organisation making these judgments about what Man City have done. It's kind of like it's rotten from the top, Roger. Yeah, this is not Elliot Ness charging in to bring yeah. Man City down. And I do believe, speaking to people at City, that they're pointing the finger at other massive clubs and kind of quietly saying, if we go down, we all go down together. But it is inarguable. This is financial doping. Money is everything in football. The correlation between money and results in football, bar Leicester City, is everything. I mean, you read City's emails and they are Astro-esque in their deliberate kind of deception. And you wonder now, if there's anything the Premier League will do, because if UEFA finds City guilty, what they did impacts their achievements in the Premier League week to week. Even more arguably, yeah, they're talking about a points deduction for this season, which won't really hurt City because they are so far ahead in second place and they're not going to qualify for the Champions League anyway if UEFA uphold this decision. Here's the question though, Davo. Should there be an asterisk against City's past successes, the league titles they've won? I find these conversations boring. They won the title that year. <laughs> what are you going to suddenly award it to Liverpool for finishing Everton, second mate. that year? Everton. No, Everton it was not. Coming seventh. No, yeah, well, you it's could. Good then, but then, yes, then there should be like a very large asterisk, Rog. I don't know. It's like it seems crazy. I don't think we know enough about it. I think anybody who pretends 
to really understand a lot about this issue probably doesn't, or all of the machinations within UEFA that made it happen. Never stopped us talking about this stuff before, Davo, knowing anything. We've never known anything about anything. It's depressing and it's not about sports. And I just, I don't like any of these artificial, I mean, I'm not even sure that I agree with financial fair play. I mean, that sounds a ridiculous thing to say, but I don't know enough about what financial fair play is. I'm sure that it's been given a very nice title, financial fair play, but I'm sure it's actually a lot more complicated than it just being fair play. When have, since when have UEFA or any governing body in football thought about fair play? I just don't believe it. That's never been a value. Play up, lads, play up. I mean, I do think, by the way, on the asterisk stuff, there should be rationally, but there won't be emotionally. City have broken financial rules, according to UEFA. They've also played mesmerizing, ecstatic football, and that's what's going to be remembered. City have a couple of days to decide whether to appeal, which would actually make all of this drag on. But for now, let me ask you this. Would the putative lack of Champions League for two seasons be a backbreaker for this city as we know them? I mean, look, I've been thinking a lot about this, and this will come out later when we're talking about Chelsea and, you know, this obsession with Champions League qualification. And I sometimes worry that we obsess with qualification when unless you can win the Champions League, I don't know why everybody is so obsessed with qualifying. And so where Man City are as a team right now, I think there are larger questions about where they're going that go beyond qualification. They still have boatloads of money. They're still going to attract fantastic players, fantastic managers, whether Pep stays or not. So I don't know that it's a death blow to them. It's obviously not what they want to not compete in the Champions League, but I don't necessarily think it means death. I mean, let's break it down into the different elements, because for me, the timing could not be worse. We have talked all season about how City are in desperate need of a rebuild, David Silva departing, Kun Aguero and Fernandinho ageing, Gabriel Jesus, Mahrez, Sterling, KDB... Ilkay Gundogan free to leave in 2023. No Champions League, first and foremost, means City will miss out on $221 million. I mean, let's look at the different elements. You are Pep. What do you do? Do you stay or do you go? Well, I mean, I think the thing he wants to win is the Champions League, so I can't believe it. If he's been honest with us, and that's what his aim is to do at City, and they can't play in it for two years and they lose the appeal, I don't know what the timing of the appeals process is. I don't know how he could stay, really. Yeah, I mean, to me, when he's been talking all week about being fired if he doesn't win the Champions League, when I heard this, I thought about that meme where the guy taps the side of his head and says, can't be fired for not winning the Champions League when you aren't even in it. But the Champions League, it is the trophy that's eluded Pep at City. He desperately wants to prove that he can win it without Lionel Messi. I mean, it is his white whale. Only last week... He did talk about being sacked if he doesn't land it. You have to ask, will he be chill waiting till 2023 to go again? I mean, if I am City, I am desperate to hold on to Pep. He is the symbol that indicates that everything's normal, nothing to see here, no massive upheaval. Everything's the same, even when it's not. I believe they'll throw money at Pep. I believe they'll throw an oil well or two at Pep. They'll throw sovereign states at Pep. I mean, he's been quick and I'm fascinated by this to say, look, Whatever league we're in, I'll still be here. Even if they put us in League 2, I'll still be here. This is the time to stick together. It will be interesting to see how he reacts. There's a trade-off between money and true ambition, and everybody has their price. But if you're KDB, Dave, for instance, a player in your prime, what do you do? This is the sort of the largest issue here. 
I think, number one, they've got to wait to see how the appeals process goes because there have been many times where teams, particularly Man City, I feel, have been you know, threatened with various sanctions or even given various sanctions and they've appealed and they've got out of it or at least shortened it. Um, I think for a player like KDB, who clearly wants to win the Champions League, he stated it in interview, he stated it in interview after interview, it puts him in a very difficult position. Although one wonders sometimes with the modern footballer, the extent to which uh, the talking about winning major trophies is just lip service and what they really want to do is get paid piles and piles and piles of uh, euros, uh, pounds or uh, dollars. Or really, they don't really care about the currency. It can come in any currency. They can get it in Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, we do believe from every conversation I've ever had with one that the competitive spirit that lives inside of elite players like KDB, hyper, hyper competitive creatures, that they want to prove themselves at the best level, their natural competitive fire but even if it's not their natural competitive fire and it is rubles if it is rupees if it is shekels their contract bonuses david not just their salary but their endorsement clauses contains champions league clauses ballon d'or bonuses I mean, if you're bernardo silva thinking about the 2022 world cup and needing to prove yourself to make the team are you going to stick around without the champions league to prove yourself in if pep leaves I do believe there'll be an exodus. I mean, ultimately, we fans like to project that the players play for the shirt. They don't. They play for endorsements, bonuses, trigger clauses. And was it the thing that's fascinating to me about this? Watching United struggle, watching City just suddenly kneecapped. The prospect of a Champions League without a single Manchester team in it, which is a possibility, it's just, it's a crazy thing to behold. It's such a part of that City's identity that it's the greatest footballing city in the world. I mean, without that, it's just Birmingham with better clothes and music. The interesting thing, though, is the race for top four in the Premier League, which has suddenly become a wide, open, born again, everyone has life race for the top five. Sheffield United really could be in next year's Champions League. To be honest, anyone in the top 11 right down to Burnley is suddenly thinking, why not us? You're a quiz game meister, Davo. This, to me, feels like a quiz game in which you change the rules halfway through the contest to keep people watching it's a fake narrative this is in the year of course when liverpool are winning this going away and it's taken all of the jeopardy out of this this has suddenly put more jeopardy into the premier league it's almost as though this might have been fixed or written by someone you do bring up some interesting points though it is very hard to enforce a bonus on a player that he gets a bonus for qualifying for the champions league if they can't actually qualify for the champions league that's very interesting or their performance in the champions league affects how they're paid and they can't actually perform in the Champions League. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, KDB off to Sheffield United, Lickety split. One lovely piece of City news to brighten up poor City fans' week. Oscar-winning Parasite director Bong Joon-ho was asked to name his fantasy dinner party on Reddit AMA. And here's who he said, Davo. He would dream of sitting down with Alfred Hitchcock. Hitch! Yuna Kim, who had to Google, that's a South Korean former competitive figure skater. I know you all know that and I know you're shouting it and I know you and Kim, you're probably even listening. Martin Scorsese, the king. Led Zepp's Jimmy Page. Wow, this this really just a dinner or is this going on the lash? This is somewhat awesome. And then his fifth and final guest at the dinner table, Dave, a big table, just casually mentioned, I love this, Kevin De Bruyne. Sheffield United, Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who would be yours, Dave? Who would you, if you could have any dinner 
any dinner conversation, who would be around the Davo table? Honestly, if I could truly answer the question in the most boring way, I'd have some of my best mates. Lucy, Noonie, Justine, my best mates in college. The four of us have not sat with each other in like 30 years. My mate Ben Scoops and George in London, who I never get to see enough of. These are probably would be my answers. Would you have Kirsty, the 14-year-old Scottish girl who broke your heart? Probably wouldn't make the top three. She wouldn't. <laughs> oh, mate, yeah. The most controversial thing about all of this is that you didn't say Yuna Kim, the South Korean <laughs> former competitive figure skater. That is controversial decision-making, Davo. Oh, mine would be probably English misery poet Philip Larkin. Yeah, that would put you in a good mood. Yeah, get me up there. And then with him, I'd have the great Italian oh, Holocaust writer Primo Levi. The, the one guest that we've not booked for Men in Blazers that are long to book, mostly because he's long dead. Then the goddess Tracy Chapman would be, oh, would be just so welcome at that dinner table. And then I'd round it off. Larkin, Levy, Chapman, possibly one of the great midfields of the 1950s English First Division, that sounds like. I'd round off the, the conversation by also probably inviting Adolf Hitler so I could strangle him with my own hands after the soup course. It would be the greatest dinner ever. Smart, Rog. Smart. Although I think he always wanted to call Hitler like in his, in his youth so that he wouldn't end up you know, causing all the atrocities of World War II. I think just inviting him now is just not really going to help. Oh, mate, pre-tash. <laughs> okay, Rog. Time to discuss the little bit of Premier League action that took place this Premier League weekend. The corner scraps. Yeah, the corner scraps. Norwich nil, Liverpool won. The big red machine continued its inexorable march to title glory, defeating the lowly Canaries in a windswept East Anglia. Is there any other form of East Anglia? Thanks to a late goal from Sadio Mane. After missing the last two games with a hanny, the Senegalese came on as a sub. And in the 78th minute, he cushioned down a brilliant handball ball, cruelly beat the Norwich keeper near stick. Five wins in their final 12 games will be enough to deliver Liverpool's title glory for the first time in 30 years, Rog, so they can probably win less based on everybody else's form. 55 points separated these two teams at kick-off. 55 between top and bottom in the wind and rain of Carrow Road. And you couldn't tell when you actually looked at the game because Liverpool came at Norwich with their heavy artillery and their dragons. But Norwich, like mighty ducks in yellow and green, frustrated them. They left Liverpool with tons of great possession, but Liverpool could do little with it. There was a wonderful Norwich moment. You felt like Norwich would have won. Oh, when Rupp sprung clear of Liverpool's offside trap, tried to round Allison with Pookie in convoy alongside him. But Allison, that total killjoy, like a hunter killing Bambi's mum, just stuck out a meaty Brazilian paw of justice and broke up the move. It was brilliant goalkeeping by a man who, I mean, he has so little to do, but is superhuman when called upon. He is magnificent, David. Yeah, no, that was a great move. And a lot of criticism from the commentary team about, you know, the Norwich forward not putting enough meat on the ball to create the goal. But it was brilliant, brilliant interception, confusing the attacking players by Alisson. And he's such a large figure, and he's so agile. He's like a cat, Rob. He's like a giant cat. I love watching him playing golf. Reminds me of Edwin van der Sar and what he said when he came in about Manchester United at their pomp. The hardest thing is to be their goalkeeper because you know you're only going to have about one or two things to do a game, but you have to mentally be so sharp when they occur. And Alisson is going to win the Golden Glove 
and he missed more than 20% of the season, which is really a testament to his omnipotence. Norwich kept coming. Tetty spanked a shass off the Liverpool bar. Hope was raised. But Liverpool, the opposite of Everton, for whom, well, hope is really just only raised so it could be dashed. Liverpool, they just keep coming. There was even when they were frustrated and disappointed and confused, you never doubted what the final score would be. And in the 78th minute, what a ball from Hendo. An incredible takedown from the substitute man. They plucked it from the sky, knocked it into the optimally dangerous space, pirouetted, span, slight push on Zimmerman, but not enough to have the goal overruled and then spanked it home. We're going to win the league, Liverpool fans sang. I mean, 25 points clear, you don't say, Dave, right? Nobody has any doubt about it. Nobody even like complains about it when it says they're going to win the league. It's clear. It was a brilliant goal. Everything that I expected to happen. You know, it's amazing. You're watching a nil-nil draw and there's just no jeopardy whatsoever. You never believe for a second that Liverpool aren't going to find a way to go and win it. And uh, what a goal it was. Harsh on Norwich, who fought so gamely. It was honestly, oh, it was gruelling. It was like watching Seabiscuit be sent off to the glue factory. I love everything I realise in this game about Norwich City. Just the passionate loyalty of their fans. Go to a game at Norwich if you can. GFOPs. I love their occasional aspirational flamboyance in attack. I love the investment in their youth development program, which is paying off and then some. The, the, the perpetual optimism that soaks that club does raise the old philosophical theological question, why do bad things happen to good people? It is now clear Norwich will be relegated with the noble honour of knowing that they are the best bottom team the world has ever seen. Not the catchiest chant of all time. But Liverpool, David, you always say finding a way to win when you're not playing at their best is the mark of true champions. And I have never seen anyone better. Yeah, winning. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day about this, about how close huge tennis matches are and how many points, when you look at the number of points won in a huge tennis match, when the Dahl plays or Djokovic plays or Federer plays, they often don't win. Like, they lose hundreds and hundreds of points in a match but they find a way to just win maybe one more or two more and it's that it's that it's these margins and great teams do it and less than great teams don't do it and it's just the difference just the difference and we can call it mental toughness we can call it resilience we can call it great coaching we can call it teamwork and it's all of those things and it just comes when you're a winner uh not a not winner rog when you are a winner this is what happens <laughs> Mate, it's so timely because I'm about to leap into a shoot with Caroline Wozniacki, yeah. huge Liverpool fan, who says exactly that, that the hardest thing to do in tennis is to close out a game. And she was famous for, like the team she loves, Liverpool Football Club, even when she was behind, constantly grinding away and believing that she could will herself to victory. 17 straight wins for her club, 43 unbeaten. Second most ever. They've won 76 out of 78 points on offer. They're taking the piss. Kept clean sheets in 10 of their last 11 games. 15 points for the next 12 games. And the title will be theirs. UEFA, I know you're listening. Look into this crap with you. It is otherworldly. One win down. Oh, five more to go. At Joey K1228 tweeted that Liverpool are a 45 RPM record in a 33 and a third Premier League. I watched this and then I watched the rest of the action, Davo. And I will say, Liverpool fans, after watching a woeful Chelsea, 
slop around the field against an inconsistent United, which we'll talk about in a minute. Arsenal and Spurs, both in transition. Manchester City being legally kneecapped. Red supporters, right now they must be thinking, dynasty, Davo, dynasty. They're probably thinking we are never, ever going to lose a Premier League title ever, ever again. But they will. They will. Yes, Sheffield United coming, Davo. Sheffield United coming. Okay, the aforementioned Chelsea nil, Man United 2. United complete their league double and close the gap on fourth place Chelsea in a controversial affair at Stamford Bridge. United went 1-0 up just before halftime with what should be said was a great goal. Aaron Wambasaka's tasty cross. He just lost William, turned in by Tony Martial. Great finish. In the 55th minute, Chelsea looked to have leveled the score via a goal from halftime sub Kurt Zuma, but VAR ruled that Dave, of all people, he's so lovely, had pushed Brandon Williams in the build-up, despite the fact that Dave was pushed into Williams by Fred. And in the 66th minute, Harry Maguire, who might have been sent off earlier for what looked like a kick-out on Bats' crotch, got his windshield of a forehead on a corner and made it 2-0. Chelsea stay fourth by a single point, United a seventh, just three points behind them. Fourth place, Chelsea who won just four games out of the last 13, matching up against ninth place Manchester United, winner of just four points, four points since New Year's Day, scoreless in the last three. A marquee fixture in total decline, best captured by the realisation that if you added the total points the two teams have earned this season, you get Liverpool's total haul, which is mind-blowing. Both teams shades of their former selves, at Mark Skog summed it up beautifully. Chelsea goalkeeper can't save anything. Manchester United incapable of scoring. It's the classic completely movable object versus the very stoppable force. I actually thought your Chelsea started quite brightly down the flanks, David. I mean, look, Chelsea start brightly in game after game after game. As Frank Lampard said in the post-match, you know, it's only two games this season when Chelsea haven't started brightly. They're very good at starting brightly. Unfortunately, the point of football is not to start brightly. It's to put the ball in the back of the net. And Chelsea, look, I could speak for ages about the controversial bar decisions in this game. But really, this is the Chelsea team. The pattern is, is that week after week after week, they fail to to basically turn any kind of midfield dominance or scintillating play in the back of the net, which is the point of football. Yeah, I mean, on this one, you had Willian, you had Reese James, whom I love, Dave, Kovacic, just driving United back. And it was the finishing, lacking social media coordinator bats filling in for the injured Tammy up top. But then Kante went off. The game became total slop. Big talking point. Harry Maguire cleating poor bats in the yam bag. That was not okay. Are we in agree- agreement on this, the yam bagging? Yeah, it wasn't great. And actually, Chelsea, I think, showed a lack of that sort of, when we use professionalism in the bad sense, being professional football. They didn't surround the referee. They didn't all complain about it. People on the bench stood up and complained, but they just didn't make a bigger deal. And Harry Maguire sort of laughed it off and smiled, as did Batshuayi. And he was clearly, like, kicked in the crotch. I can't imagine complaining if a Chelsea player was sent off for the same thing. John Terry... I think has normalised that kind of behaviour for over a decade in the Chelsea locker room, a swift kick to the balls. It's just, it's just for the boys. They're used to it. It's just fun. So Bats, Bats came through respecting that kind of thing. But this Chelsea against this United, it was, it was like going to watch Hamilton on Broadway on a night when every single lead role was just played by an understudy. You know, when you open your playbill and that awful piece of paper falls out and tells you that all the stars are taking the night off. United though, Struck out of nowhere, 45th minute, actually the first shot on goal by either team. 
Aaron Wambasaka, what a ball, David. What a cross. Yeah, he had the best game I think I've seen him play for United, both defensively and in attack. Look, Willian is not a great defender, but he made him look even you know worse than the poor defender he is. And uh, quite apart from beating him, the cross that came in was just perfect. And, you know, Whipped. well played Tony Martial. That was a great finish as well. Yeah, I think his full name is the Eternally Mercurial Martial. It was... It was an artful nutting into the corner. 13th goal or comps. The thing I love most about this goal was how much he totally befuddled Willy Caballero. Just, oh, the poor goalkeeper. It was already beaten. The ball was already well nestled in the back of the net. And if you watch it, as I did maybe 1,267 times, the ball's in the back of the net. Willy decided to take a second leap and just dive in after it. It's magnificent goalkeeping. It's next level commitment and I hope Kepper was watching he needs to look and he needs to learn about that kind of skill game now just continued with its slop where my dominant feeling was oh I miss Christian Pulisic Zuma had a goal ruled out for a cause and effect push of Dave into Williams but Fred had pushed Dave into Williams in the first place it was crazy right David yeah but this is the problem with VAR is they go in and they just they focus on the key incident and they don't watch anything before or anything after. And we've seen this happen earlier this season as well, uh, when you know other elements get missed in, in bar decision-making. It's the problem of just watching everything in slow motion and not watching the action of the piece as a whole. Smart defenders will now simply fling opponents into their own teammates to cause chain reaction fouls in their own favour. I mean, the, the application of VAR, I think VAR needs VAR, is what I've realised. We need to have a check. Who's watching the watchman? Who's VARing the VAR? is the question. It's becoming almost so controversial, like it's threatening to overshadow like the serious issues in the world, like whether you need to ask permission to recline your seat on a flight on a tiny plane. United, though, kept coming, mostly through Fernandez's set pieces, Chelsea's season-long Achilles defending set pieces, and the Portuguese was excellent, hit the post from a lashed angle free kick, and then from one of his corners, who rose up? The old ball kicker. It was always going to be him. Narrative dictated that it had to be Slabhead, right, David? Yeah, it had to be Slabhead. I would say, though, in Harry Maguire's defence, is that Harry Maguire is generally seen as, because of his the way he's played football his entire career, he's seen as an honest, hardworking professional. He's not seen as a dirty player. And so... You know, that's one of the reasons that he wasn't sent off. And I don't mind people accumulating goodwill through referees. That seems to be reasonable. It was a fantastic header. And it triggered the whole debate that he shouldn't have been on the field, shouldn't have been on the field to score it, which for me, you can argue that. But if I was a Chelsea fan, I would feel that in the instant. But then I'd really realise, and, and the wave of frustration that bubbled all over Stamford Bridge in that moment that could only be described as Sarries, to me, the real story on Chelsea, it was their inability to create shots on goal. That, that, that is genuinely what I would be furious about leaving the game. They, they had this game. They were dominant. They had the creative opportunities in the final third. They could not take them. Yeah, VAR took off another goal, 77th minute from Giroud, who I think Frank Lampard has been keeping in a box in a gimp suit in his basement. But just the frustration I'd have if I was a Chelsea fan, it would, the Maguire thing is a misdirection. It's about why is this team not converting those chances? That's really the big issue for your team right now. Huh? 
Well, look, let's take the two fixtures against Man U this season. Yes, one was the first game of the season. This is coming significantly further in after this sort of truncated winter break. But they've lost 6-0 to Man United in the season. And yes, some goals have been chalked off by VAR. But this is the Achilles heel of Chelsea is they are actually creating a few more chances now, but they just do not stick the ball in the back of the net. And yes, they've got defensive lapses as well. I'm not ignoring the defensive lapses, but this is a team that are unable to take moments of dominance and turn them into advantages where they put pressure on the other teams. They don't take early leads very often. They don't go into halftime 1-0 up very often or 2-0 up. They, they don't score goals upon goals. It just is a, it's been a problem all season. Ultimately, this really comes down to one thing. This team does not yet have a winning mentality. There are signs of promise. There are very good young players. I think Frank Lampard and I think most Chelsea observers, most Chelsea fans agree that they're on the right track. Uh, he's dealt with the transfer ban. They've only managed to bring in you know, one player and he's not coming until this summer. Hakim Zayech. Yeah, but it's a work in it's just a work in progress. And they're just like they're not a winning team. But then you also look at their players. Chelsea's best player this season, without a doubt, has been Tammy Abraham. Tammy is out. You look down that team sheet and you think about where are you going to get goals? You're not getting goals from the striker position. We've created, with apologies to, you know, Christian Pulisic fans everywhere listening to this podcast, we have not Me. scored a lot of goals from wide positions this season. So we don't get goals from wide. We don't get goals up front. Our defenders have knocked in a few and midfield are not, you know, Kante and Jorginho and Kovacic are not incredible goal scorers, although I would give it to Kovacic. He was our best player in this game. But you look down this team sheet and then compare it to the team that finished sixth in 2011-12 and won the Champions League, which had, like, goal scorers throughout the entire team. We're just, just not that kind of a team right now. And it's going to take more than a year, more than a couple of years. And so where I go is, oh, my God, even in fifth place, we could qualify for the Champions League. Chelsea can't compete in the Champions League yet. They don't have a squad. They don't have players to compete. We've got to get back to the players of the quality of Drogba's, of Lampard's, of Ashley Cole's. And Rhys James could be very good, but he's not there yet. John Terry, who was a fantastic central defender and servant for the club. And we just had so many good players. And this was a time when we weren't dominating and winning the league every year. And so far, Chelsea just don't have enough star players. Seven losses, all comps at Fortress Stamford Bridge this season. Won only 15 points in the last 13 games. That's the bad news. Good news, testament perhaps to how crap this season's been. You're still fourth. But the gap to six is just two points. Spurs loom in an enormous clash this weekend. Season starts here, said Frank Lampard. Bad news, it doesn't though. There's a welling frustration at Chelsea. Percentage of it is starting to be aimed at Super Frank. Frank's also making it clear he's frustrated. He's made it clear he wanted more firepower in January. All the talk of the 180 million at his disposal in the summer and the arrival of Hakim Ziyech, the young right winger from Ajax, and the dreams of landing Jaden Sancho in the here and now. Until they do, Chelsea are going to be pulling their punches. United completed their first league double over Chelsea since 1988. This was a massive win for Ole exactly when he needed one. Okay, Crodge, Aston Villa 2, Tottenham 3, a game in which each team played with all of the discipline of an employee replying all to a company-wide email, a grab bag of own goals, woeful errors, missed penalties, made for a great football match for the neutral. And in the 94th minute, with the score tied at two, a pretty dire mistake from Tyrone Ming stand in Bjorn Engels, who had already conceded a penalty and 
scored the equaliser, mind you, allowed Sun to get in behind and score a second goal of the game. Spurs go into fifth. Now the final Champions League spot. Yeah, the debut of Ball Mourinho. A crazy game of failure and redemption. Toby Alderweireld turned the ball into his own net to open the scoring and then redeemed himself by spinning in the box and slapping that ball home. Super Toby, like a footballing Montezuma's revenge, got it going on at both ends. Oh, we, we were just rooting then. He'd got an own goal, he got the goal, and he had an entire 63 minutes to grab the red card, which would land his first John Joe Shelby hat-trick of his career. Oh, but he couldn't summon it. He turned the zero-to-hero narrative over to Engels, who gave away a fairly needless penalty that put Spurs 2-1 up. Uh, then grabbed an equaliser himself by heading home thunderously, dunking on, it should be said, a flat-footed Toby Alderweire old Natch. No such thing as bad press, bro. The game just became a crazy seesaw of emotion in which both teams just countered. One, It was like watching like one kick return attempt after another in an NFL game. An old man, King Ball Pepe Reina, came up great on several occasions, especially oh, in a one-on-one with Delhi's brother. But every chance Villa created but didn't take, it became clear who would win this, David. Mourinho always does this right at the end, right? He turns the game around against narrative. And in the 94th minute, amazing. It Honestly, I did not see Tottenham scoring a winner in this game. I just felt that this was going to be a draw. Aston Villa had worked so hard. I thought Ugh. the best player on the pitch was Zach Grealish for the entire game. Just didn't see it ending this way, Rod. But then just a long, hopeful hoof forward, you know, Chung Son Min, who turns out with a broken arm, is still running like crazy for the entire game. Bjorn Engels, I mean, you couldn't invent that name, who'd been the hero at one end, and then he's like the villain at the other, uh, fails to clear, just completely whiffs it, Rog, lets in uh, Sun, full finish. God, unbelievable. Ball Jose does what Ball Jose does, finds a way to win. We should say Villa lose, having conceded a league-leading 50 goals this season but they should take some solace because they created all five goals on Saturday. Spurs won, but would find out later that some will be out for, quote, weeks. He, he suffered a broken arm in the first-minute challenge with uh, with Villa's Conta and then completed the 90 minutes in which he scored twice, now has surgery on their injury. J-Dubs loved the post-match interview with Son, which Jose Mourinho interrupted with a, a guy who'd scored two goals for him and it also, it turns out, played with a broken arm. And Jose just leaned into the microphone and says in front of everyone, in front of Son, says, is he talking about the goals he scored or the goals he missed? Classic Mourinho, David. What a man motivator he is. Well, by the way, whatever he's doing, he's doing something right. Uh, I don't know. It's not the playbook I would uh, subscribe to, but he's somehow this very weird, whatever it is, forthcoming, coming of Jose Mourinho is... Uh, is kind of inspiring his team to do ridiculous things. God. And they are ridiculous things. No Kane, now no Son. He, Mourinho talked afterwards that they have to find improvisational ways to win, and they are crazy ways. This was Spurs' 19th match under Jose, and they won 3-2 for the fourth time, which is just not Jose ball. One Spurs story I did like, though, Dave. Oh, my God, yes. The Guardian, breaking news. Swedish man, dismayed after being told he cannot change his name to Tottenham. A 39-year-old Swedish man has expressed his disappointment after he was denied the right to change his name to Tottenham in wake of the club's run to the Champions League final. The Swedish naming authority, Skatevirkit, 
And then uh, that is uh, proceeded by a very sharp, deep intake of breath. Roger Sketerverkin <laughs> turned down his application, even though the man named Lind, perfectly fine name, found out that there were people in Sweden bearing the names of Newcastle, Arsenal, Liverpool and English National League North Six Tier Club AFC Geisley. <laughs> Maybe someone at Sketerverkin is an Arsenal fan, Lind concluded. <laughs> mm. The plot thickens. you got to say Geisley is such a nice name, Dave. Oh, I think I'm going to change my name. I was really inspired by this. I'm going to change my name by the American naming system. I'm going to change my name, Davo, to non-winner. <laughs> well, yeah, if the hat fits. Arsenal 4, Newcastle nil. after a droll first half of songs from their new album. Arsenal came out in the second half. And they played all the hits, Roger, amassing a quartet of goals from Oba, Pepe, Ozil and Laka. Arsenal, they're in 10th place all of a sudden, Rod. They've got a pretty forgiving run of games coming up. They're coming off the best half of football. They played in recent memory. Hope, optimism, joy. What is this, Arsenal? Yeah, no one thunders up the table to 10th place as loudly as Arsenal move into 10th place, Dave. I mean, this is a this is just a mid-table battle, really, between 11th and 12th. That's what it said on the tin. And that's what it felt like to watch it for the first half. Arsenal lumbering. In after four straight draws, Newcastle, nine men back, no ambition. It was all just frustrating AF for Arsenal fans who had, I believe, at halftime, no sense of what the second 45 held in store for them. An offensive display par excellence. Here's a question. What exactly, Davo, do you think Mikel Arteta said to them at halftime? Well, I mean, once again, you watch them play like this. You watch... All of those goals, all of those individuals that we just named, Oba, Pepe, Ozil, Laka, like, they're just playing the way that we all know that they can play. They're remarkably skillful players. They have tremendous international track records. So maybe he just reminded them to be themselves. Yeah, I think it's probably more what Steve Bruce said in the Newcastle locker room. I think it was probably on reflection, a bad idea for him to decide to do a floor show where he made love to two large pies and forced his team to watch. That's not hurt him before. <laughs> it's what he's done his entire career. That's what got them, that's what, that's what got them out of the bottom three, Rob. Lads, do you want me to see them do it again? Oh, no one's got the heart to say no, boss. We really don't. Whatever. In the 54th minute, Arsenal stroked the ball around. Pepe knocked a fine pass to the back post, and Uber just rose up, flicked it clinically into the corner. I did have a dream last week, an Uber dream, in which Uber scored five times in 17 minutes then just subbed himself off because he couldn't be asked to play for Arsenal anymore. Saka, nutmeg on the flank, set up Pepe for a second in 156 seconds later. Whole Arsenal mood flipped. I mean, it would get better for Arsenal fans. We don't say that enough. Ozil bloody scored after a 35-pass move in which every single Arsenal player touched the ball. They drew Newcastle out to expose themselves and then struck quickly like a Viper or in Ozil's finishes case, a Viper who wasn't quite sure if he really wanted to actually strike. But even Ozil scored. I imagine the Arsenal fans singing. And then Lacquer, bloody Lacquer. This could it get better. Lacquer, his first goal since December, 4-0. Goals from two men Arsenal fans are desperate to get going again. Saka and Ceballos are also excellent. Mustafi and Louise. Mustafi and bloody Louise combined for a clean sheet. Arsenal fans in dreamland. It was just Newcastle, but it couldn't have gone any better for, for Arsenal for one weekend, right? Yeah, this was... I Actually, I think this could be a potentially significant turning point 
for Arsenal. I know we overstate what happens one weekend, but I thought just the the way they played football in the second half, it's almost tough to imagine them not playing football like that. This is what they're capable of doing. Mikel Arteta has suddenly had some time away with these lads to sort of get them playing the kind of football he wants them to play. They didn't play it all in the first half, but he got them in at the halftime, gave them a decent talk. And I enjoyed watching them in that second half and enjoyed the way they played football. I think of all the teams right now, even though they're in 10th place, I've got to tell you, they're a threat. And I think other teams are looking at them thinking they don't want to play them. It's very hard to beat teams like Newcastle, Rog. Newcastle are a good, good team. And I think you can't just say it was only Newcastle. Newcastle are great. Look how Liverpool struggled against Norwich, Rog, who was sitting at the bottom of the table. This was a very, very good win. You look at who Arsenal play. Coming up next, a team called Everton, then West Ham, Brighton, Southampton, Norwich. Pains me to say it, all very winnable. The only way this could have gone better for long-suffering Gooners is if Stan Kroenke just chimed in with full glee at his team's victory and announced he was going to sell Arsenal. Oh, or at least if Lord Nicholas Bentner returned and just bagged a late wonder goal. Fantastic weekend for Arsenal. Wolves nil, Leicester nil, a point of peace for these two European hopefuls. The big talking point in this one, Roger, disallowed Willie Bawley header just before halftime, which was chalked off because Pedro Neto was judged to be offside in the build-up. Roger's mob comfortably in third place, Rod. Wolves, meanwhile, in eighth. Yeah, Leicester's thin squad starting to take a toll. Madison has lost his gleam. Jamie Vardy still hasn't scored in 2020. And Chowdhury got what was shockingly his first professional red card because by my counting, he's already had about six. Leicester are going to miss him with Ndidi fighting injury and Manchester City up this weekend. Southampton won, Burnley two, a massive win for the Clarets on the South Coast. And Ashley Westwood, Olympic goal right off the corner kick, Rog, just 93 seconds into the game. And a stonker from microphone check, Mate Vidra, Burnley have now taken 10 of their last possible 12 points. Up to 11th place, Rog. Yeah, Vidra, I love him. He hasn't scored in 511 long days. And I, I loved his honesty when he was asked to describe the technique he used to score the winner. He said, I just closed my eyes and smashed it. Oh, Burnley and the New Southampton. A month ago, they'd lost seven in nine and were pronounced borderline DOA. 10 points in four matches against Southampton, United, Arsenal and Leicester City, and Sean Dyche is a gravel-voiced hero once again. This season, Davo, it just makes fools of us all. Yeah, Rog, well, let's see if next weekend makes fools of us again. Uh, your full throttle weekend looks like this. It kicks off 7.30 a.m. Eastern time Saturday with Chelsea hosting Spurs ugh, in a London derby. Sunday, Arsenal host Everton, as you said, in the Michael cohen Rodge derby. And Monday... Monday, Monday, it's Liverpool versus West Ham at 3 p.m. Eastern time, followed by the Men in Blazers show with, sorry, with special guest Caroline Wozniacki. Can't wait for that interview, Roch. Let's have a prophetic shot of Jägermeister to see what the future holds. Oh, it's my favourite part of the podcast. Oh, bottoms up. Oh, this Jägermeister. Oh, it tastes of solace and the need for a hug post the Mikel Arteta Memorial Derby. We made that man. He was on the scrappy. We took him off. We re-salvaged him. And he's going to lead Arsenal against us in our hour of need. 3-1 to the Arsenal. Everton will score first. We'll create chances. But unfortunately, those chances will be from further out than seven inches. So Dominic Calvert-Lewin won't be able to finish them. The only solace I'm going to have, Dave, out come the end of the weekend 
is that Arteta, and my wife keeps pointing this out, he's got a very, very bad hair dye job. <laughs> well, what is a good hair dye job on a man, Roger? I've yet to see one. Uh, I, I like to think I may own one, Dave. It's flesh coloured. My shot of Jägermeister Rod's taste of that brand new ball, Jose Mourinho, fellow ball, returning to Stamford Bridge oh, and getting a big win over former pupil Frank Lampard. Oh my God, they will make DVDs of that win, no doubt, Rog. Okay, there are many other ways to connect us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which is transformed into the Men Ways Board Mart. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Board Mart, we get a tiny percentage, allows us to produce additional, albeit suboptimal content. What are you putting in the Board Mart this week, Roger? A book. Colin McCann's A Paragon, a work of remarkable genius, whose name I've probably just completely butchered because I don't quite know how to pronounce it. But it comes from the National Book Award winning author of Let the Great World Spin. The book focuses on the friendship forged in loss between two gents on either side of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Two fathers, each of whom has tragically lost a young daughter. One guy, the Israeli Jewish guy, Rami's teenage daughter, was killed by a suicide bomber. The Palestinian Bassam's 10-year-old daughter was fatally shot by the Israeli army. The book is a fictionalized telling of their relationship. It's a real relationship, but it tells their grief, notions of conflict, notions of peace. It's told brilliantly with a mesmerizing structure, an incredible structure of a thousand and one short yet gripping chapters which chop up the tellings, weave inside stories about history, art, philosophy, culture, digressions, which make reading it just a haunting kaleidoscopic experience i will say reading this just after i read say nothing last week oh the, the book about the irish troubles which really affected me the two books really almost speak to each other and i don't always agree with this book but i was blown away by it by its humanity its nobility its poetry its brilliance and you will be too rog i've had a tough couple of weeks and despite going on vacation going to disney world all this kind of things a lot of things going on in my life outside of men in blazers that i'm struggling with a little bit but you know what one compliment can literally lift up your entire day and the other day i was uh, at starbucks where i was just buying a coffee and a woman said to me working behind the counter she goes i hope you don't find this awkward i just have to compliment you on how nice your skin is and she just told me how nice my skin was and it was a really lovely thing to say and i'll tell you I have been changing up my face care routine, my skincare routine, Rog. I've been using face buff. I don't know if you buff your face, Rog, or any other part of your body, frankly. Actually, I don't want to know. But I love an energizing scrub. I love an exfoliating, energizing scrub uh, with vitamin C and mint, Rog, from Jack Black. Not the Hollywood actor, stand-up comedian Jack Black, but it's from a wonderful... Wonderful cosmetic company. Uh, very important to exfoliate, Rod. You've got to, get, got to get rid of the dead skin cells. You can't just leave them all over your face. And that is what will make way for clearer and brighter skin. I can't recommend it. This is not, don't sponsor us, Rod. I'd like them to sponsor us, but they don't. Uh, but the Jack Black Face Buff Energizing Scrub with vitamin C and mint. That is my pick for the Emporium this week. When you're in Starbucks, were you shirtless? Is that why she said you got lovely skin? No, it's just about my face, Rod. It's not about my chest. I just, I, although, I've got to tell you, i got to tell you, I occasionally use the face scrub on my chest and on my body as well. <laughs> How just, about that for you? Just, you didn't expect that answer. I just pictured you wandering into Starbucks for your frappuccino of choice, wearing your swim trunks alone from last week. It's a magnificent mental picture. Just leave me with it. 
I mean, to be honest, she complimented me on my outfit, my bag, a lot of things. She may have been borderline obsessed with me, but it was a really lovely moment anyway. Okay, you can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at MC Davies, at Roger Bennett, on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at MC underscore Davies, on Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always send your ratings to crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendor Point Rog. War Pig! Who wants to sex with Tombo? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. The Tweed. Abrogado, rock on me. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. Feel better, Davo. I just closed my eyes and smashed it.